he's actually going to be bringing the word uh, this morning and preaching. So hasn't it been such a blessing to hear from the different men, uh, different men in our church, bring the word of God, rightly divide it, as we say, right? Bring it, say, uh, give us truth. And you have, we're so blessed here to have so many men and women, godly men and women here who can teach, who are able to, to preach and understand the word and, and share it and share it in a way that we can understand and and uh, admonish us and encourage us and teach us. So we've been very, very blessed the last few weeks to be able to have that today. Uh, we're going to be blessed again with Lance. Uh, welcome, Lance Couch, this morning. And, uh, huh? All right, you ready? Here we go, all right. that movie just a couple times. <laughs> well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. Um, in preparation for this, I actually I invited my entire family uh, that's local to come out, and, and a couple of them, not all of them, but a couple were actually crazy enough to show up, so thank you guys for coming. It's always good to look out and see people that you love and care about uh, in the audience. It helps kind of ease this, so I actually volunteered to do this sermon today. I wasn't forced to do it, and I've done this before, and every time I do it, it's all good until about right now, and I'm like, what am I doing up here? Why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. We have professionals that we pay to do this, so today is amateur hour, so stick with me. We'll do our best to get through it, but it is good to be here this morning. It's good to see everybody. I'm pretty sure they put me last in the series of people who have been preaching to put you on the brink of desperation is what they told me. So <laughs> don't worry, he will return next week. It all will be restored. <laughs> all right. So we're going to look this morning at Romans chapter 5. This is a verse that actually has uh, been very important in my life, and that's why when I found out we were going to do Romans, I volunteered immediately for chapter 5. And we're going to talk about we've been taking a journey through Romans, right, like a road trip through the book of Romans. Today we're going to talk about the detour, the detour. <laughs> what happens when the journey gets put off track? How many of you, be honest now, when you see this sign, how many of you are like, oh, good, a detour, <laughs> right? Yay, detours. Everyone loves a good detour, right? No, we don't because... We had a plan, right? We were going to go from point A to point B, and we were going to take this route. And then all of a sudden, no, no, you're not taking that route. You're taking a left, and then maybe another left, and then a right, and who knows where we're going, right? And sometimes we just don't have control over that. So that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about the detours in life, pardon me. Now, some of these detours, of course, are imposed upon us, aren't they? But sometimes, sometimes you take your own detour. I got a great example of this. Let's see, our, let's see the map. Oh, good, okay. Now, this is something my wife loves to talk about this story. Matter of fact, she was just sharing it two weeks ago. So we used to live in Colorado Springs, and we would come back to Texas periodically to see Robin's family. 
this is when the kids were little. Like, they're, they're practically adults now. They're pretty much adults. Not huge now, but they were little, like, toddler size, right? <laughs> and so we would get up, and we would come back, when we would go back to Colorado, <clears throat> we would get up really early in the morning and try to do it in one day, because you don't want to spend more than one day in a, in a, in a car with a toddler. So we're like, we're going to get this over with, ease the pain, we're going to get home. So we got up really early, and we're driving from Central Texas, Austin area, up to Colorado Springs. It's 13 hours, apparently. No, 14. Anyway, we would go up to Fort Worth, take a left, go out through Abilene, and we had done this numerous times. So I thought, I got this down. So we're about 30 miles out of Fort Worth, and all the kids fall asleep. And this is like, this is golden. This is what you're looking for, sleeping kids on a car trip, right? I mean, this is what you're going for. And my wife fell asleep, and she never falls asleep. So everyone's asleep, and I'm like, this is glorious, man. This is going to be great. I'm going to knock out some miles. So we're going through Fort Worth, and at some point I'm like, I don't recognize these roads. I'm not sure. I'm not sure I took my turn. I think I might have missed my turn. And so I see this one thing in particular. I think it's the, the motor speedway or something. And I'm like, oh, that's north of Fort Worth. I'm, where am I? So I pull out my map. This is pre-GPS, right? Actually, GPS had just been invented, but it was expensive and I'm cheap. And, and honestly, I don't need some snotty British woman telling me where to go anyway, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm a man. I can figure this out on my own. So I get the map out, man. I'm, I'm looking at the map, and I, I see this other route. It's this straight road that goes straight up there. I see Kansas, right? And then it goes over to Colorado. And I'm thinking, you know, I'm 20 miles north. i got to turn around go back 20 miles. This road here, this is all interstate. It's going to be faster. Doesn't look, I mean, by my calculations, this is Fingers Creek or something, you know. Doesn't look that much longer, right? Yeah, that was a bad idea. So I committed, man. I'm like, I'm going to Kansas. So I went to Kansas. Robin wakes up, I don't know, an hour later, and she's like, oh, you know, where are we? She doesn't have any ideas. I'm like, we're, we're going to Kansas. She's like, that doesn't, that doesn't sound like a good idea. <laughs> And I was like, yeah, no, no, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's about the same. I'm, you know, explaining to her the, the geometry, like, you know, straight path, two right, whatever. Well, I realized about halfway through Kansas, this is a bad idea. Because I don't know if you've been to Kansas, but it's Kansas, man. It makes Houston look nice, and that's saying something. I live here. I mean, there's nothing out there. So we're in Kansas. Needless to say, we were supposed to get home, I don't know, like 930, I think was what I was we rolled in about 1, 1 a.m., something like that. So, hey, hope you got to see Kansas, but, you know, benefits. <laughs> That's a detour. Didn't want to take it. Probably wouldn't do it again. <laughs> Don't recommend it either. All right, let's look at Romans chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 3 through 5. And it says, I should have brought my glasses. And it says, not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. In other words, we also celebrate in our tribulations, our detours, the word we're using there. We celebrate in those, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. The guy who wrote this knew something about tribulation. So when he says we celebrate in our tribulations, he knew what he was talking about. He wasn't just making a 
So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at Paul's journey. There it is. Paul's detoured, detoured, detoured. Sorry, I made that up. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> Why did I say that? Because he had more detours. His detours had detours, man. He never got to where he wanted to go. He had one of these signs right here. He's like, I don't know where we're going. We're going somewhere. So let's look at it. Let's look at the first one. So Paul, he began life as Saul, the first from Saul, from Tarsus. And Saul was a Pharisee. <laughs> if you don't know what a Pharisee is, just think of the most legalistic Christian person you can think of who points out every fault of every person on Facebook and just is holier than thou. That's your Pharisee. That's today's version of a Pharisee. Pharisees were religious keepers of the law. And they intended to keep every last law of the Old Testament and ensure that everyone else did as well. <laughs> keep everybody in line. <laughs> These guys are no fun. <laughs> but Pharisees, these are the same people who were intimately involved with the arrests and the trial and the conviction of Jesus Christ that put him to trial. That's the Pharisees. So Saul, he called himself the Pharisee of Pharisees, meaning he was the most zealous about things. Saul started his life as a persecutor of the church. Saul hated the church. <laughs> Saul saw Jesus as a heretic, someone who didn't speak the truth. He needed to be eradicated. So he set out on a journey to do just that, to eradicate Christianity, to put them to death. As a matter of fact, the very first known martyr, Stephen, was stoned to death, and Saul was there overseeing it, giving his approval. And we see that in Acts 8, verse 3. It says, but Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women who had put them in prison. So after he foresaw, after he saw the death of Stephen, Saul began persecuting the church. He would seek out Christians, put them in chains, and drag them into church. He wanted nothing more, that's what it says, than to put Christians in jail uh, because he didn't want the religion. He didn't want people uh, to thrive and to believe in Jesus. <laughs> he was an adamant persecutor of the church. We see it again in uh, chapter okay. We'll look up here on the screen. <laughs> Chapter 9, <laughs> verses 1 through 2. I lost my place in there. Don't worry. Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, anyone belonging to the, the way of Jesus, both men and women, he might bring them bound, a.k.a. in chains, to Jerusalem. says, or is that it? That's it. So, okay. Okay. So he was out to go to Damascus for the very intent purpose of finding Christians and putting them in jail, bringing them back to Jerusalem. Well, guess what? Paul had a detour. See, that was his plan, but God had another plan. So as he's going to Damascus to persecute Christians, a great light appears 
We don't know if it came down from heaven or if it was there in front of him. It doesn't matter. But a great light blinded Saul. And from that light, Saul heard a voice. And it said, why are you persecuting me? I'm paraphrasing here. He said, who is this? (laughs) He says, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And I will show you how much you must suffer for my name. He called the very person who was persecuting him, the lead persecutor. That's the one he decided to call to spread the gospel, to tell people the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that crazy? I love that about the Bible. There are so many instances like that. It's like, you you choose that guy? And the reason I like it is because I'm that guy. I don't deserve it. I'm not a good person. Yet Jesus chooses to use me. Why is that? Why did he choose Saul, the great persecutor? Well, that is Saul's first detour. Saul, he started out his journey as a persecutor, and he ended up his journey as a preacher. But it doesn't end there. That's why we have so many detours. So let's look at the second one. So Paul took that same level of enthusiasm and applied it to what he was called to do, which was preach the gospel to Christ's people. So the same passion he had for persecuting, he started using as a preacher. And Saul made it his new mission to spread the gospel as far and wide as he could. He started out on these missionary journeys, and he traveled all over what was then the known world, right? He went to, there's a map somewhere, he went to Asia Minor, uh, Ephesus, Greece. He might have gone to Kansas. I'm not quite sure. He might have. I bet he did when he didn't know it. Probably the time he was the most bored on his journey. I don't know. (laughs) But from A.D. 46 to A.D. 57, Paul traveled. Now, this is before airplanes and cars and all the stuff we have. Truth is, he probably walked most of this. He might have had a horse every now and then or a, or a donkey. He probably was on a boat here and there. I know that's probably fair. Some boat. But mostly walking. And in that time, they estimate he covered eight to 10,000 miles. So we'll go out to walk for eight or 10,000. You want to go? Let's go. Let's head out. We'll pass through Kansas at some point. It's not that far. <laughs> Eight to 10,000 miles. That's how adamant he was about spreading the gospel of Christ. That's how passionate he was, that he would walk eight to 10,000 miles. And that became his new goal in life, his new passion. He was going to spread the gospel as far and wide as he could. But guess what? God had another plan. God gave him another detour that he did not expect. He thought, now I'm on the path of righteousness. Now I'm doing what I'm supposed to be called to do. But God knew that he needed him to go to Rome. Why Rome? Rome was the center of the universe at that time. And if he was in Rome, if Paul was in Rome, he's going to be much more effective than if he's just walking around all these different places. He's going to be able to spread the gospel like crazy, and he did. (laughs) So here's what happened. We'll look at Acts chapter 21. I'm on, I'm on board now here. 21, verse 30 through 33. So Paul had come back to Jerusalem after one of his missions and was preaching in the synagogue in Jerusalem. And here's what happened. He made the Jews mad because 
Not everyone else had converted like he had. And the city was aroused against him, and the people rushed together, and taking hold of Paul, they dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. And while they were seeking to kill him, a report came up to the commander of the Roman cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. And at once he took along some soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came up and took hold of him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. And he began asking who he was and what he had done. Paul thought he was doing what God wanted him to do, (laughs) and he was. (laughs) But the the Jewish people were still angry, and they put him in prison because God had a plan for Paul to go to Rome. And guess what happened? Paul started getting tried for his offenses, went to a number of different courts, and eventually Paul appealed to Caesar. So he was a Roman citizen, and as a Roman citizen, he had the right to say, I want to go see Caesar. I appeal to Caesar. Which meant he had to go to Rome. And by law, the Romans, by the way that it was constructed, if a Roman citizen wanted to appeal to Caesar, he got to go to see Caesar or at least go see the government in Rome. And so now he's bound. He's a prisoner. And so just like the first time, he started as a preacher and he ended this journey as a prisoner. (laughs) It's not where he expected to be. No one expects to get arrested. I don't think anyway. I don't know. I've been in trouble a couple times. I never set out to get in trouble, I can tell you that. (laughs) One time I had to call my dad from a facility, let's put it that way, uh, on a Sunday morning. My dad is a pastor. I called him at church. (laughs) Wasn't planning on doing that. (laughs) Can't say he was too excited when he answered the phone. Actually, the secretary answered the phone, and that was was another thing altogether. I don't know. (laughs) Anyway... (laughs) He didn't expect to be there. So now he's in prison, and he's going to Rome. I'm sure this is going to work out well, right? I'm sure he's going to sail down to Rome. <laughs> no, no, another detour is coming. <laughs> so the Roman guard, they loaded him up on a ship. Um, who knows, might look something like this one if we've got those. Not like that. <laughs> they put him on a ship. Him and like 200, yeah, it's very quiet. Him and like 200 other people. And they're headed. They're headed out. <laughs> They're headed out to Rome. Well, I don't know what they're thinking, but they're on the island of Crete, a little tiny island in the Mediterranean, kind of little thing. And it's almost winter time, and it's not really the time to sail. They should have just sailed. But they were impatient because they had goods they wanted to sell. I don't know what they were thinking, but they had things to do. So they take off from Crete, and a wind comes, a great storm blows in the Mediterranean. And that boat is getting rocked hard. So much so, they threw cables underneath the boat. Now, can you imagine? They threw cables in, and like they're trying to tie it together. We're going to keep it together with ropes. That's how bad it is. They're, 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 they're desperate. They're like, we're going to keep this boat together. For 14 days, they dropped the anchor into the bottom to try to slow themselves down because the wind just pushed them along. And they had no control over the boat. And the boat is probably rattling and shaking and falling apart, and they thought they were going to die. So make a long story short, they ultimately ran up uh, on ground, and the boat did just fall apart. Luckily, God had his hand upon that boat. He wanted to protect Paul and everyone on that boat to ensure that Paul got to Rome. 
all the people survived, man. They called upon pieces of wood and backstrokes. They did all kinds of stuff. With my daughter Ava, they probably breaststroke. She used to be a swimmer, something like that. They all swam in the shore, and guess where they ended up on this last detour? They began on a boat headed to Rome. They ended up on a boat in ruin on the shores of Malta. They didn't make it to Rome. They didn't make it to Rome. They ended up on Malta. Paul had no intention of ever going to Malta, <laughs> ever. I don't know what Malta looks like. I've seen pictures when I was going to Israel. It's nice. I might go there someday. I don't know. Better than Kansas, I'll tell you that for sure. <laughs> Paul never meant to go to Malta. <laughs> so you might be asking yourself right now, I probably would be if I were you. Where are you going? <laughs> Guess what? I have a destination. <laughs> Here's my question for you. Have you ever been to Malta? I don't mean Malta, the actual island. I'm talking about have you ever been on a path in life and ended up on Malta? You're like, well, what am I doing in Malta? I don't want to be in Malta. <laughs> it's not where I set off to be. It's because your life took a detour. You had one destination, and you detoured, and you ended up on Malta. Now, some of you might be on Malta right now. I don't know. I've been there many times. Been to Malta many times in my life. You might be there right now. You may not even know you're there. Your life might be detoured, but you're oblivious to that fact. So we're going to talk about, for the rest of our time here, the two types of detours, at least as I see them. There are more. There are two types of detours. The first one is what I call life-imposed. Life happens, <laughs> doesn't it? You're going one way and something just happens. It could be a job loss. It could be adult children who are making decisions that break your heart. It could be parents that aren't doing the right thing by you as a child and are crushing you, and you are in Malta. Things just happen. You know, for me, I shared this story several times. I'm going to share it here again because I think it's important for us to talk about. For me, at the age of 32, I was hit like a ton of bricks by anxiety disorder. It's not something I had struggled with. And for nine months, I was in Malta, man, in the dark. six months of my life because Malta was dark, man. <laughs> Don't break my heart. <laughs> Sometimes life is heavy and it sends you to places that you don't want to be and it hurts. second type of detour is what I've entitled self-imposed. Sometimes we end up in Malta because the decisions we 
before I go any further, I want to admit a couple things. One, I am not perfect. I don't make all the mistakes. I have made these same mistakes. I still make mistakes. So I'm not trying to condemn anybody. I'm just pointing out that's me. Okay? I also want to say something to the Christians in the room. We need to acknowledge as Christians that the things that we call sins, there is some pleasure in that. Let's be honest about that. Because we get so judgmental. Why would they do that? I'll tell you why. Because it feels good sometimes to forget the pain. Right? Who's been there? I've been there on nights where I'm out with my buddies. I'm feeling no pain. There is a level of pleasure in that. And I want us to admit that because we need to be compassionate towards those who struggle. There's a reason why. Right? They're trying to numb something. Right? But here's the deal. Here's the problem. Is that the happiness that's derived from those things is temporary. It doesn't last. It's there one minute and gone the next. And that's why... You see it. They got to go back to it and back to it and deeper and better and higher and longer. And guess what? It still doesn't last. It escapes. It's like holding water in your hand and try to keep it there forever. Guess what? It may seep through your fingers. It may, you may accidentally open your hand. Even if you don't, it's going to evaporate. You can't hold on to it. It's going to go away. And that's what happiness is. Happiness is conditional. It's based on the moment, the time, the context. And when that's over, it's over. I've got a couple examples. One is pornography, something that's running rampant in this country. Right? When you get that 10 minutes of pleasure... And then it's over, right? And you feel like, ah, it's nothing. But then you realize, I'm still alone. I'm still not happy. So you go back to it, and you watch it again, and you watch it again. And it's all just a big blur. And it's fine until what? Until your wife finds out about it. And now your marriage is being damaged beyond your control. And your wife feels betrayed, because she feels like she's not enough, and you're looking at some other woman, right? You're not happy anymore. That 10 minutes of pleasure isn't worth it anymore, is it? You see, another instance of that, right now, erectile dysfunction, sorry, just joking around, it's through the roof. And you know that the amount that they're seeing that in the medical community the rise in it almost directly corresponds to the rise in internet pornography. Men, we can't even function anymore because some temporary happiness. We're seeking after something that won't make us happy and is slowly destroying us. Men, we're on Malta. We're not happy. We can't even do what God designed our body to do. Don't tell me you're happy like that. (laughs) 
One thing I challenge my kids to do a lot by asking this question. Go out. I dare you to go out and find me a happy addict. Come on. Bring me back a happy drug addict. Come on. Then we'll talk about how I should loosen up (laughs) and just let you be. It's okay. It's okay, Dad. Everything's good. (laughs) Find me a happy drug addict, and then we'll talk. You know what? drug addicts and other addicts with other substances tell you, it's a victimless crime. I'm just hurting me. No, that is a lie. Go ask the kid of the alcoholic mother if they're happy. Go ask them if they weren't hurt when their mother said things to them that she probably wouldn't have said otherwise or when she neglected them because she needed to go out and seek her next fix. Stop victimizing. Ask the spouses whose spouses are caught up in that addiction, right? Or ask the person themselves, how do you feel when you wake up the next morning and you're still empty? When it didn't fix anything, the pain's still there. See, that's the thing. Those people have found themselves on Malta and they may not even know it. Because they think what they're doing, the things they're pursuing, are the very things that are bringing them happiness. But I'm here to tell you what they've done is they've traded joy for happiness. They've decided, I'm going to get happiness, these little temporary fixes. And what I'm going to give up is joy. And some of you may not know what the difference is, but I'm here to tell you, joy is from knowing God. It says in the Bible, I will give you great joy. What is joy? Joy is unshakable. It's so much different than happiness. We get them confused in our culture. But joy is the thing that's going to be there. It undergirds your life and support you through all the difficult times. So that when you get to Malta, you're like, I still have joy because I know where my hope lies. I know I've got a God who loves me and is going to see me through this. Just discounts another lie that people tell others about Christians. They tell that they, man, you become a Christian, everything's going to be good. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's not all sunshines and roses. Jesus was crucified on a cross. (laughs) What else do you have to say? Paul was beheaded. Some of the apostles were crucified. Upside down. There's no, all life's going to be good. You are going to go through hard times. But man, you are going to have joy in your life that's going to sustain you through those hard times. I used to work for a company called Dynavox. And we made speech devices for people who couldn't speak anymore. Amazing device. Select your stuff, you hit speak, and it speaks for and against you. Pretty wild, right? But they sound better now. They don't sound like that. They sound more natural. (laughs) But one of the devices that we sold used eye gaze, which is amazing technology. You could look, and you could select things on the computer, and then you hit speak, and it would speak for you. And we made this for, for lots of people, paraplegics. But one of the main markets we made it for was people who had a speech like ALS. 
often than we give. Terrible. It's a, it's a death sentence right now. There's no known cure. You get ALS, you are going to die from ALS. That's not, that's just, and how it works or what it does is it slowly deteriorates all of your body functions, except for, and this is the coolest part, <laughs> your eyes and your mind. Just stay completely intact. So you know the whole time what's going on as your body shuts down. And sometimes they lose their arms and they can't move their arms anymore. Sometimes they lose their legs and they're in a wheelchair. A lot of times they lose their voice. Their vocal cords can shut down, but they're still functioning otherwise. So these eye gaze devices allow them to communicate with their loved ones and their family. So once a month, I would go down to what we call the ALS clinic. We have one of the best neurological centers in the entire world here in Houston. Some of the leading scientists are working on a cure for these diseases. Once a month, they would hold this clinic, and all the patients from all over the country would come in, and it would allow them to see all their doctors in one day, because they see a lot of doctors, man. This is a serious disease. So you've got a lot of doctor's appointments, and when you're coming from Mississippi, you can't be coming every other day. So they would come down to this clinic, and they'd see all their doctors there. And there would be probably 40-ish, 40, 50 patients along with spouses, kids there. And almost without fail, every time I went down there, there would be one or two guys or gals who had ALS who are walking around and they're laughing and they're encouraging the other patients and they're telling stories and they're just happy. They're joyful. And I would go up to these people and start a conversation because I'm like, what, what's going on? <laughs> and almost without fail, they would either just tell me or I would ask them, how, how are you like this? Without fail, and I don't know if it ever didn't happen. Maybe it did. I don't remember. Without fail, it's because of my relationship with Jesus Christ. I can have this terrible disease, but the joy of God is what sustains me through it. I mean, that's a powerful message. As someone who can't even lift their arms can still have joy is a profound statement of the power of the joy of knowing Christ. That you can go through that and still have happiness, still have joy. So I'll ask the question again. Have you been to Mark? struggling with something you can't control, something that is destroying your happiness, something that you think has given you life, but instead has got you stuck, and you wake up and you're not happy, and you don't know why. the things that happen in life sometimes just hurt. They just do. Or sometimes the things that we think are bringing us joy, bringing us happiness, or they're damaging our relationships. Our spouses are hurting. Our significant others are hurting. We're damaging the relationships with our kids because of our behaviors. We're doing things 
that are leading us down the wrong path. Well, I'm here to tell you that there is a fix for that. It's knowing Jesus and allowing his grace into your life. He made a way off of my cross. It's called the cross. And he laid that thing down as a bridge between where you are and where he wants you to be, which is in his joy. He doesn't want you stuck on law cross. And yeah, will you go there as a Christian? You will. But when you get there, you'll know I've got hope. I'm not going to be here forever. Because I'm in the hands of a loving God. And if you don't know him, if you don't know about that, and it sounds crazy, like this doesn't make any sense, I would say to you, it's worth it. You won't make a better decision. You can figure it out. And it all just starts with saying, I want something different. I want to know this Jesus that you're saying is going to give me joy and peace in the tough times. I want that. I don't want to live here anymore, stuck in this dark place, seeking after things that are never going to fill me. You can have that if you can know the God who wants you to know him. We're going to finish. We're going to go back to Romans 5. I'm going to read it again. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. That's what we're talking about, hope, the hope of Jesus Christ. And hope, hope does not disappoint us, because it's the love of God that has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. We're going to go a little further, listen to this. For while we were still helpless, while we were still in Malta and not even knowing it, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God, who demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, It doesn't say, once we got ourselves cleaned up, Christ died for us. No, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Why? Because he loves us. And he wants all of us to experience his joy and his peace in our lives. There's a way off of Malta. There's a way off of Malta. The cross of Jesus Christ. The band's going to come up as I pray close this thing out. Father, we thank you for this day. Father, we thank you for your word. It's true. We thank you for the sacrifice that you made that you made so that we could have unexplainable joy in this life. Unfathomable peace when things
best for us to do it. Because you created us, you know what we need deep down. Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth that you died for us even when we didn't deserve it. Father, you gave yourself up that we could bring you with us, that we could enjoy what you make for us. struggling that you would give them the courage and the strength just to step forward and say, I want that. God, I want to do this. God, I want the peace. I want the joy of you. I thank you for today. I thank you that you would increase the other joy that is here today as they go and as they leave. You would just give them that. You would seek after them for those who don't know you continue to pursue them and give them that peace that they need. Just thank you for them. Thank you. Amen. Uh, we're now going to participate in the Lord's Supper, uh, communion. Uh, it's a time where we remember Christ's sacrifice for us in a very meaningful way. I'm excited to go ahead and clean. We're going to pass the elements out to you. Be able to participate in your, in your seat. In the early